And so for our final speaker of the morning, um, can I introduce Professor Steve Dixon. Um, since graduating from the Royal College of Art in 1986, Steve has made figurative artworks which engage with contemporary social and political issues. These works range from large ceramic vessels to installations in site-specific installations in 21 countries in the museum. Was, that, was it called 21 countries? Yeah, project 21 countries, Museum of Arts and Design, New York, and site-specific site works, for example, Monopoly in 2009 at the British Ceramics Biennale, and community projects, for example, Asylum with Amnesty International and Kosovan Refugees. Thank you, Deirdre. Just to say that my role at Myriad at uh, Manchester School of Art is as leader of the Crafts Research Centre, and within that I am allowed and empowered to do my own practice as research, which allows me to engage with interesting projects around the world. Uh, so I'd like to talk about some of my projects in Australia and India, which have attempted to create cultural dialogue through crafts and shared approaches to making. I hope these projects will raise questions around the relationship between traditional and contemporary crafts practices and explain why makers might wish to engage with issues of cultural identity and confront difficult historic legacies and particularly why I, as a privileged white male, might want to do that. Now, part of an answer lies in my usual studio practice with its inclination to political narrative and which often leads to confronting uncomfortable issues and inconvenient truths. For example, uh, piece on the left dates from the 1980s. Uh, it's about contemporary colonialism in Central America and particularly US President Ronald Reagan's funding of right-wing paramilitary groups in Nicaragua and El Salvador. Peace in the center is one of a series of all-can vessels which were a critical response to Britain's role in the war on Iraq. And Peace on the right is a recent piece exploring issues of human rights, prisoners of conscience, using the iconic image of Aung San Suu Kyi. My, my first engagement in a sort of cross-cultural sense was through the HAT project, which was a, a residency exchange project between the UK, Australia and South Asia, which was organised and coordinated by a fine line. Uh, we have Barney from a fine line in the front row of the audience, if you'd like to introduce yourself, Barney. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this project gave me the opportunity to work for three months in Adelaide at the Jam Factory. And the image there is um, from a convict love token. So the HAT project gave me um, a huge dilemma as a political maker because I was taken outside of my comfort zone, kind of transported to Australia myself without any knowledge of um, political issues in Australia and a very thin understanding of Australian history. So I took a, a fairly oblique historical perspective to the project and looked at the crafted objects of colonial settlers and the way that sometimes those objects embodied narratives about their, um, about their experience. In the same way as um, Yasmin talked about the way crafted objects kind of embody um, resonant histories. This particular piece, Bush Pantry, is a fanciful reconstruction of um, an outback kitchen using found enamelwares that I collected in Australia and reprinted with a series of 
imagery. Found enamel wares that were reprinted with an alphabet of colonial period images. Uh, this particular one is um, an image from a convict tattoo, the Adam and Eve image, uh, which was sourced from a dissection sample at Guy's Hospital Museum. So I was looking for very kind of weird and wonderful um, items and objects that would, would tell those stories of, of kind of hardships in colonial period Australia. <laughs> One of the highlights of my trip was a road trip to the Pichanjara lands in um, central Australia to visit some of the Aboriginal art centres in Freegong and Ernabella. And I was initially very sceptical about, um, about doing that. Um, I had a rather jaundiced view of, of uh, the way Aboriginal art has been commercialised and has become this, this kind of invented art form that isn't actually true to its, uh, true to its origins and its materials. Um, however, my view was changed by seeing the role of Aboriginal art at first hand. Um, visiting some of those art centres, it's very obvious that the creation of... of um, of those painted artworks were the only source of income for some of those communities, so they provide a hugely important social and economic uh, benefit. <coughs> Nevertheless, there are some um, extraordinary examples of cultural exploitation of Aboriginal art. Uh, this piece of cultural branding is particularly questionable, uh, even though it was conceived by an Aboriginal design group in Adelaide. It was actually a real uh, Qantas aeroplane that was uh, decorated with that livery. Uh, more authentic and effective to me uh, as a use of this visual language is the Alternative Australian Embassy, which is a protest camp um, set up opposite the parliamentary buildings in Canberra. While in the homelands, I became very interested in the social issues. Um, one of the big issues uh, at the time when I was there was around petrol sniffing, which was the biggest killer of young Aboriginal men. Uh, and this image is of um, a petrol pump with, with a, um, a case around it to stop the petrol being stolen, uh, and a very appropriate piece of graffiti added to it. Another uh, of the major social issues there was um, diabetes. Um, very, very common in those cultures uh, because um, Aboriginal groups have moved very, very quickly from a nomadic lifestyle to a sedentary lifestyle with massive exposure to junk food and a metabolism that isn't physically equipped to deal with that. Uh, so this piece, Desert Fruit, was trying to um, engage with those kind of issues. And when I was in Ernabella, I collected um, a whole load of these drink cartons. They're, they're soft, sugary drink cartons that just littered the floor everywhere. Um, I collected them. I filled them up with, with materials that I'd collected on the road trip and then sealed them up with a red wax, which makes reference to um, a particular bury, the Jaquiriti bury, that um, Aboriginal craftspeople use as a decorative element in a lot of craft work. But it's a kind of double-edged sword because um, it's, it's very bright red and very beautiful, but at the same time it's a highly poisonous berry. So something of that narrative was trying to put into the work. Um, it's a fairly slight piece in a way, this one, but it was a very important piece for me because it shifted me into a different way of thinking about making and using materials. And the final piece from my hat project... Um, was a piece called Cargo, 
which was about the transportation of convicts to colonial, colonial Australia and that faceless bureaucracy of colonialism that, that would transport um, convicts either because they were political or because they, they'd committed often fairly minor offences. Um, I collected a series of plates while I was travelling in Australia and they were inv invariably came from Staffordshire. So there was an interesting kind of cycle of, of going from the UK to Australia and then I was taking them back home again to rework them. Um, I took uh, moulds from them and resampled them and stamped them with colonial imagery and the stamps themselves were also made in the same material so the stamps were about the, the bureaucracy. Um, the kangaroo on the plate is a clue to another kind of narrative that's built into the works. Uh, they were made from a bone china body that used kangaroo bones instead of ox bones. Um, so it's probably a, another uh, uncomfortable truth for vegetarians that bone china contains ox bones. So I replaced the ox bone with kangaroo bone and so it was a very aboriginal kind of notion that the work was made and it came from the land and from the environment and then would ultimately go back into the environment. Um, moving on to projects in India. Um, in the last few years I've been working in collaboration with an Indian artist, um, an Indian textile artist called Lokesh Gai, who um, teaches at NID and NIFT, two of the art colleges in Ahmedabad in India. And this is a piece he made called Charlotte's Cape, which was made for a residency at the v Museum of Childhood in the UK. Uh, for the last few months we've been sending um, textile correspondence to each other. It's a kind of Chinese whispers project where we send each other um, a part-made work, do some work on it and send, send it back. So it's, um, it's making this journey across continents and changing all the time. My introduction to Lokesh was um, as a facilitator. I was working on a project in Ahmedabad and uh, Lokesh was my, um, my middleman in a way between, uh, between myself and local makers. I was very interested, um, Lokesh took me to see lots of woodblock makers and woodblock printers and I was very interested in the table covers that were underneath the um, textiles that were being printed. And so wherever we went, we collected those. And then I visited an organisation called Gramshri, uh, which is an organisation that work with um, women who would normally be um, what's called rag pickers in India. They, they would be walking the streets collecting rubbish and then selling it at the end of the day. So they had a very dirty, very dangerous job. They didn't earn very much money. Um, what Gramshri does is to teach them textile skills and then they can um, get much better employment and they're able to work from home and raise their families. So it's, um, it's a very altruistic project. Um, I visited them with Lokesh and they made up some, um, some tiffin box liners using the fabric that came from the printing tables. Um, these were used in a series of plates, um, box plates, so the um, the ceramic plates were about that historic relationship between the UK and India um, and a very layered way in which um, I was I was looking at, at kind of the cult, that, that story from both sides and there's a very different perspective on that relationship from both sides of course. 
Um, the notion of the boxes, which were also made by Indian artisans, uh, was was about that journey between the two the two lands. Um, having worked a little bit with with Lokesh, but not in a collaborative way, uh, we decided to work on a collaborative project together for the Ahmedabad International Art Festival in 2010. And Lokesh had taken me to see. Um, Maniklal Gadjar in Pethapur, who is, um, uh, was, a, um, I guess, a living treasure of the um, woodblock carving community in India and had become very old, was almost blind and not able to carve his woodblocks anymore. So he was making a living now selling the prints from his um, woodblocks that he'd collected over a lifetime of wood carving. And that's one of those on the right. Lakesh had been very keen for a long time to, uh, to do something that would um, celebrate Mr. Gajar. And we had the opportunity to work on a flag project in Ahmedabad where we took um, some of the basic design elements from his wood blocks and um, digitised those. Um, I started that with uh, Kate Egan, um, a textile artist in Manchester, and having got so far with it, went over to India and, and worked much more directly with Lakesh to, um, to kind of contemporise some of the elements that were in the original prints and to celebrate the traditional within the contemporary. Um, both Kate and Lakesh have fantastic digital skills that I don't have, so um, I was kind of a minor part of this design process. And the outcome of that was a, a quite ambitious project um, or an installation of flags on Ellis Bridge in Ahmedabad. Ellis Bridge links uh, the old city and the new city of Ahmedabad across the, across the Sabarmati River. So the idea was that as you travelled across the bridge, um, you were seeing the, seeing the flags that made that connection between the old and the new, between the historic and the contemporary and at the same time celebrated um, Mr. Gadjar's input into the start of the project. Uh, at the same time as working on the, um, the flag project, uh, there was a group of artists from Myriad and from India working together on a project called the Pole Project. Um, this is our group, um, Amanda Rivets and C.J. O'Neill from Myriad. Lakesh Guy is in red, so mentioned Lakesh already. And Palak Chitalia, who um, worked for the Centre for Environmental Education in Ahmedabad. Uh, the Paul project was um, conceived as a project that would, ex would explore um, sustainability of Dalny Pole in Ahmedabad. And the poles are small units within within the old city. Uh, they're usually walled communities, um, sometimes sometimes based on a particular religious group or a particular making guild, or even sometimes just an extended family. Um, they're very much based in the old city, and although they're extraordinarily beautiful visually and architecturally, um, and have a very strong social setup. They, they don't kind of match the aspiring Indian model of five minutes, okay, um, of this kind of rapid westernization of, of, of everything in India. So um, families that, that have marriageable children, for instance, would move out of the pole because they, they wouldn't see, be seen to be marriageable living in that environment. Um, 
paths and roads are very tight in the pole so you can't take a car in there so you can't have this kind of um, increasingly aspirational lifestyle but having done that often the families then regret it because the social structures where they've moved to in the new city don't match the social structures that were available in the pole so the notion behind the project was to celebrate the pole as it is and raise awareness of that which we tried in a number of ways um, some of which working with local children and um, this was a mapping project where we got together around a drawn map of um, the local area the pole and invited the children to go out and make drawings of what they felt was beautiful within the pole or significant um, the three artists from Myriad, uh, our, our funding came from uh, the Research Institute, so each of us were empowered to deliver our own research output and project. Uh, one of the things we did together was work around the notion of the otler. Um, the otler is the, the doorway um, to the houses in the pole, and that was the scene of, of cultural life in the pole. Everybody kind of operated and mingled around their otlers. So we went out and bought an old door and made a kind of fake space uh, which we decorated with um, local children and then set up as a, as a cipher, as a, as a focus for um, the local people to engage with. Um, one of the artists, Amanda Rivette, is a filmmaker and she made a film of the people of the pole working, um, working with this doorway. The film's called Entry and I've got a small um, three-minute version of it with me, so if anybody would like to see that at lunchtime, I'll be happy to show that on my laptop. Uh, this is some of the people. She, she set up the doorway and the, the video camera for a whole day, and um, the local people kind of appointed their own directors and engaged with it in a, in a very beautiful, lyrical way. And at the end of the project, we had a film screening in the poll which was um, extraordinarily well attended and well received. Uh, we also um, did some more project, projects with children. Um, this is a ceramic decoration project using uh, ceramic transfers that we took with us. Uh, these were fired in Ahmedabad and then um, exhibited at the end of the project as an installation. This is some of CJ O'Neill's work. She worked very much with silhouette. Um, that particular one looks at the doorway itself um, and references um, Indian uh, cutouts. This is the chai cellar in the pole. Uh, my own piece uh, was a piece called Hero, um, which was a, an intervention in a ubiquitous um, Indian bicycle. And I'd, I'd taken um, a box of bone china flowers with me from the UK that were made in Staffordshire thinking I'd be able to find a way to use um, use flowers as a, as a very resonant aspect of Indian culture and the bicycle kind of suggests itself as part of part of the project. This is Mr Lala, this is Lalabai, he's the bicycle repairman in Nepal and he sold me the bicycle originally um, I went to see him and invited him to come and see it, thinking he'd, he'd find it ridiculous, but he really loved it. It turns out he was, um, he was a frustrated art student himself. Um, he brought his family up to see it and everything. Um, and then at the end of the project, Lakesh took the bike back to Mr Lala. Um, he recycled it and then kept the ceramic parts, so they, they're hanging in the shop now. So it was a nice... Um, 
apologising for the bad pun, it was a nice way of kind of completing the cycle of the project. And that's that's the end of what I wanted to say. Um, if you want to follow the progress of the uh, whole project, you can look at the uh, blog on Blogspot. And that incredibly long um, number is the um, the source code for Amanda's film. But I can give I can give you that later if anybody wants that, or if you want to see it, um, please come to me at lunchtime. Uh, and finally, I'd just like to say, um, to end with a plug really, um, at Myriad we're offering some PhD studentships very soon, uh, and one of these is in collaboration with Barney and the Fine Line, um, exploring craft dialogues between India and the UK, and it's a kind of industry-based um, PhD project, so it will be working as a kind of uh, embedded artist within the Fine Line. So if any of you are interested in that, I've got some information on that if you'd like to grab me when you can. So, thank you very much.